so powerful to be able to stand up here and just hear you all singing. I hope you hear each other as much as we hear you up here. It's just a beautiful sound to praise the Lord. You know, sculptors say that part of the job of the sculptor is to look at chunk of granite, marble, wood, whatever you want to sculpt, and picture what they want to keep and then take away everything else. Keep taking things away until what is left is the picture that the artist had in their mind. Today we're talking about a cross-shaped mission. What is our mission as Christians? Why do we exist? What is our mission as a church? Why are we here? How do we stick to that mission? How do we look at who we are, our identities as individuals and as a church, as a collective group? And how do we look and say, hmm, what needs to be taken away? What needs to be removed so that the mission can shine forth clearly? A little bit of a review in case you're joining us for the first time. We're, we've been in this uh, sermon series for about four or five weeks now. The cross changes everything. We started with Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, that he resolved to know nothing when he was among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we looked at this idea. Why is that the most important thing? And Paul says, look, and this was a messed up church and a messed up culture. So many things he could have gone into. But he said, look, here's where we're going to focus. We're going to focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're going to focus on the cross. We went from there into three sermons on what we learn. What do we learn about ourselves generally from looking at the cross? What do we learn about how Christ died in our place and the need for our salvation and what it took to save us? And then we looked at what it means that salvation is a free gift to be accepted through faith. So we spent three weeks on those topics. Then we went into how this impacts us as individuals. How do we live cross-shaped lives as individual followers of Jesus Christ? And then we went last week into a cross-shaped church. What does that mean for us as we gather together, as we live in community together, both here on Sundays, but also in interactions throughout the week? And so today we're continuing along that vein in a cross-shaped mission. We have a mission, a purpose given to us by our Savior Jesus Christ. A mission that is defined by and shaped by the cross. And we must be careful that we don't say, okay, thank you for the cross. Now I'm going to go do this on my own. I'm going to do it in my own way. We've got to let the lessons of the cross, the purpose of the cross, the message of the cross, and being shaped by the cross inform how we carry out this mission. So let's start by looking at what the mission is. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 28. This may be a very familiar passage for you. It's known as the Great Commission. Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, so he's died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, and and then about 40 days went by when he interacted with the disciples, he continued to talk, he he, uh, preached and taught them, He, he appeared before them and said, look, here I am, I am the one that was dead, and I have come back to life. And they saw the proof that Jesus had overcome sin and death through the cross. And now he's about to be raised up into heaven. And he leaves them with these words. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's our mission. That's it right there. That's the mission statement of the church. Why do we exist as a church? What is it we're supposed to be all about? We are supposed to be about making disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? And a lot of this is review from a couple weeks ago, but we got to bring it back on the table here. A disciple is someone who believes in and trusts in Jesus as their savior. So they're changed by the gospel. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. So they're changed by the gospel and they dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ to follow him. In this day and age, their concept of education was not you come and sit and listen and absorb. It was you come and you follow and you learn along the way. And the disciples were to live like and act like their rabbi. There's an old statement called covered in the dust of the rabbi. They were to so closely follow their rabbi that when he walked, his sandals would kick up dust and it was to hit his disciples. That's how close they were to be to the rabbi. They were to act like him, teach like him, think like him. So they're believers who are also followers and along the way of believing and following, they are ongoing learners, ongoing learners. A disciple is a believer in Jesus who follows Jesus and learns more about Jesus. So Jesus says, this is your mission now. You are to go and make disciples. Our rabbi has left. He's ascended up into heaven and now he gives us the mission. Now you take the one you are following and call others to follow him as well. And this happens through teaching them. This is why as a church we value and put great emphasis on the teaching and preaching of the word of God because Jesus said so. Teach them. It's why on Wednesday nights we gather around the word. It's why there's various small groups happening in in homes. It's why we have Sunday schools. Teach them. It's not just come together for an experience. It's come together and teach. Listen to what our Savior is saying and learn from him. Now, how does this happen? Here's the command. Go. Now, if you look at the original language, the word there is a little softer. It's more as you are going. There's an assumption that every follower of Jesus, wherever we go, we go into our home with unsafe family, go into our community with unsafe friends, we go into the world with unsafe people. As we are going, the assumption is we will be going. Here's the problem. I think as modern Christians today, we don't want to think about going, we want to think about gathering together and just make a little holy huddle and encourage and love one another. And that's good. It's good. It's good to come together. It's good to come together and encourage one another. It's good to come together and share stories. But we have to remember that Jesus said, go as you are going. So we can't just think about church when we come. We need to think about church as we're going. Are we following Jesus wherever we go? Are we living for Jesus, not just here when we gather, but as we go? Are we talking about Jesus, not just with our lovely Christian friends, but with everybody else as we are going? 
The idea is we have a mission to take the message about Jesus Christ into this world that so desperately needs it. And he gives us encouragement in verse 18 there. He says, Jesus has all the authority. I love that. He, he couches this whole command, this whole mission in Jesus saying, I am the one that has all authority. And then he ends it in verse 20 with, and I will be with you always. Man, if that doesn't encourage you to live for Jesus Christ and tell others about Jesus Christ, I don't know what will. That the one who loves you, think about who he is, died on the cross to save you from your sins, rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. You know, all the time we say, well, you don't know my situation. You don't know my family. You don't know my culture. He conquered sin and death. And he's with us. He's more powerful than any of those situations. And that's the promise there from Scripture. The one who has conquered sin and death is with us on this mission. This is the mission of the church. If you are a Christian, if you at all in any way, shape, or form would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then automatically you have a mission. This is not a mission for people to say, well, okay, I'll be a missionary. Okay, I'll go into full-time missions. Or okay, I'll be going to full-time ministry. This is a mission for every believer and for every follower of Jesus Christ and for every church. As we are going, wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves, we are to take the message of the cross and make disciples. So often people struggle with, what's my purpose in life? Start there. What does God want me to do? Oh, we'll start there. And, And start doing that, and along the way, he'll start showing you other things. Career, house, job, marriage but they come as we're following Jesus along the way that he is leading us. Now, I would guess if I went around and took a quick poll, I won't, but think about it for a second. Does that mission seem too hard? Is it hard to ask Christians to be missionaries in every situation of their life. Because that's how I interpret what Jesus is saying. Be a missionary, a representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ, wherever you go in any situation. We have that in our membership covenant. Do you promise to be a missionary in every situation of your life? And when we go over that in the class, people are like, oh, I can't do that. No, you can't. I could never fulfill that. Nope, can't. I'm going to fail. Absolutely. We all are. We all do. But that's the mission. Now, here's what's amazing. We listen to that mission, and hopefully we get fired up, but then we interact with the world, turn on the TV, look on the internet, we say, man, this is bad. You're calling me to do this mission in that world? Jesus, how can that be possible? What hope do we have? There's no way we're going to succeed in that world with this mission. Turn to the end of the Bible and look at Revelation, not quite all the way to the end. Revelation chapter 7. We're going to look at a family portrait. Have you ever taken a family picture? Try to get everybody at their best, right? Best outfit. Best mood, hopefully. I always tell my kids, fake it if you have to. It's a picture. Pretend you love one another. Like, let's smile. Best lighting. Best backdrop. 
We're going to look at a family portrait of the church, and it is not at all in the best situation. The context of Revelation chapter 7 is that it's talking about what is arguably the worst time in all of history. That's when this family picture is going to be shown to us. Things are bad and getting worse. The church is absolutely persecuted. In fact, the picture that we're going to see of these believers, they've actually lost their lives for Jesus Christ. So it's a very difficult time. It's called in Scripture the Great Tribulation. That gives you a little bit of a sense of how bad it is. It's bad. And you would think that in this situation of the world being arguably worse than we could possibly imagine even today, and the situation for Christians being worse than we can possibly imagine, and people dying for the sake of their faith, we would think that the church would lose their mission and that the mission would fail because it's a horrible situation. Instead, look at what we see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. John, who sees this, he's given this picture from heaven, from Jesus himself, and he describes what he sees. And he says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one can or could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's quite a family picture. The world in Revelation 7 is completely falling apart. History is unraveling. Great persecution has broken out. World governments are collapsing. Sin is running rampant. And I know a lot of us will be like, oh yeah, we're in that today. Oh no. You haven't seen anything yet. So much to look forward to. But there is so much to look forward to. Because in the midst of the world falling apart, John gives us this picture of people who have been saved and they cry out. In a time that we would think people would deny their faith, they cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And who are these people? People from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. Maybe another way of saying that, if I could kind of interpret it, is people from the whole world. Is that fair? It's the whole world, people from all over the world are gathered together, and they have been saved. Why? How did that happen? How is it possible when the wheels are falling off all of history, humanity is just running rampant in sin, persecution is broken out, we have a picture of people from all over the world who are saved. How did this happen? The Great Commission. Because Jesus said to a ragtag group of individuals that we're descended from spiritually, go into all the world and take the gospel. And we can flip forward to Revelation chapter 7 and we can say, they were successful. The gospel went out, people got saved. And we can look at our time now and say, we are successful. 
The gospel is going out. People are getting saved because we can look all the way to the end of history and say the gospel has never failed. The mission that Jesus Christ has given to each one of us will never fail. I get so demotivated by doubt. When I'm in the midst of a big project, I remember especially back in college and in seminary and just thinking, I remember writing my thesis paper. I'm never going to be done with this. It's never going to be good. It's just going to be garbage, 200 pages of garbage. And it probably is. I don't know, but I passed, and that's good enough. But, but those thoughts, do you ever have those thoughts? I'm not going to succeed. I'm not going to make it. And for me, it just makes me want to, for some people, it's motivational. Yeah, charge them. Let's go. For me, it's like I just want to curl up and ball and leave me alone. I'm not going to make it. Why bother? If you're like me, and, and even if you're not, listen to the encouragement here. As we go from go into all the world, and then we flip to the end of all of history, and we see multitudes of people from all over. The encouragement is the mission you are called on today to leave this room and to go out and make disciples. The mission you're called on to your family that you say, you don't know my family. They'll never trust. They'll never receive. You're right. I don't know your family, but I do know the power of the gospel. And you might say, you don't know the world we're in. Well, I kind of do. I'm there too. And it's tough and it's going to get tougher. But we have a picture based on the promise of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is the Word of God, and it never fails. And it says the gospel will go forth and will be successful. This thing that we're called to, you are called to a mission that is guaranteed to succeed. Not because of who you are and how awesome you are. Not because of who I am and how awesome I am. Because, man, if that's the case, we're all in a bunch of trouble. The mission succeeds because of who Jesus is and how awesome he is. That's where it's based. And I love that we get this picture at the end of history that the mission succeeds. So let's talk about what it means to live this mission. What does it mean to truly go and make disciples and live a cross-shaped mission in our life? This is not just a, a one-time act. It's not just when you become a Christian, you get all fired up, and then as we get older, it's like, oh, yeah, that's for the younger people. I don't do that anymore. They, they need to go make disciples. I'm done with that. It's what we're called to every day of our lives. When we get up to say, this is my purpose today, I'm on mission for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is such a profound example of this. He lived his life as a good Jewish boy, as a good Roman citizen, and he had kind of a foot in two worlds. Jewish roots, he was trained as a rabbi, a Jewish scholar, but also he was a Roman citizen. He knew his culture. And so he was profoundly able to take the Old Testament ideas about God and, and apply them to his culture to challenge his culture. And part of what he came to as the church began to grow and the gospel began to go out, he said, wait a minute, this is not the God of the Old Testament. And he began to challenge the church. He began to challenge Christians to the point of arresting them and having them put to death. And then Jesus appears to him. 
Talk about the cross changing everything. See, Paul knew that guy, Jesus, he died on the cross. We're done with him. I know people will say he resurrected, but, you know, to Paul, he's like, no, that's silly. Of course he didn't. And then Jesus appears to him, and he's like, yes, I did. And I'm here. And for Paul, in that moment, everything changed about how he saw the world. And everything changed about how he saw the Old Testament. Everything changed about how he saw the Roman world. And Jesus said, now I'm sending you. Go into all the world. Take the gospel. And so Paul did that. He lived the rest of his life traveling the world to take the gospel about Jesus Christ to people who were desperately lost in sin and darkness. And I want to just look at a glimpse into how Paul thought about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul writes this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And why? I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Jesus under, or I'm sorry, Paul understood something that I think modern Christians struggle with. We so often, we hear the call to receive Jesus, and that's good. We hear the call to come forward, maybe in an altar call, pray a prayer, maybe at a rally or something, and, and then we talk about a spiritual birthday. When did you receive Jesus? And that's good. It's beautiful. I received Jesus when I was five. I received Jesus when I was 16. I received Jesus when I was 35. And we, we have that moment that we look back to, and we say, I received Jesus back there. Paul looks at his own heart and he says, here's what I'm doing for Jesus now. He had a powerful testimony of how God changed him. But he kept saying, I'm living for the gospel now. I'm on mission for the gospel now. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. Paul writes in the beginning of another letter, the letter of the Romans, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He looked at his world. And I pray that God would develop this heart in our, us as Christians today. Paul looked at his world and he said, what do they truly need? What is the greatest, most desperate need of every individual and every society and every culture and every political system? What is the greatest need? And Paul said, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news. That's what the word means. It's news. It's information. It's a message. And the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God died on the cross in our place that we might be saved, conquered our sin and death, rose from the dead and ascended up into heaven and he gathers his people through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. That is the hope of the world. The world needs the gospel. 
The gospel must be our message on a cross-shaped mission. We're so quick to want to switch it with something else. People don't want to hear about sin and death. No, they don't. About a Savior dying on a cross, that's kind of archaic and old-fashioned. It kind of is old-fashioned. So let's swap it out and let's, let's talk about God wanting to heal marriages and God wanting to heal families. And that's so true. He does. But he does it through the gospel. Let's talk about healing our society and mending class relationships and racial relationships. And that's true. God loves that and wants to be involved there. And as Christians, we should be involved there. But he heals those things through the power of the gospel. That's what the world needs. The gospel is not just about how to live a better life or be a better person, though I promise you that the gospel will give you a better life in so many ways. It'll also give you a lot of difficulties in so many other ways because the world doesn't get it and often doesn't like people that are trusting in the gospel. Anybody that stands up and says, I believe there is one real truth, people are like, oh my goodness, you're one of those crazy people. Our world doesn't accept truth at all. And any claims to any overarching truth is automatically rejected. Our message is not just fixing the world's problems. Though I guarantee you, ultimately, it will be the gospel that fixes the world's problems. But the world doesn't want to hear it. But no matter what the world wants to hear, the message, our cross-shaped message, must be on our cross-shaped mission, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we let go of that, we are offering the church empty promises that won't help anybody. Offering society. I said the church, I think. And we have nothing to offer to them. Last week we talked about living a cross-shaped life. But that's so crucial. As we have this cross-shaped message, we have to live it out in a cross-shaped life. Look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 21 to 22. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. There's so much going on in here. We won't get lost in the weeds here. But Paul understands Jewish relationships and theology. He understands the Gentile world. And he's using words that were really meaningful to them. But from a a big high level view, understand what Paul is saying. He's saying, number one, I will become whatever I need to become. And I will do whatever I need to do to communicate the gospel. And so many people today, well-meaning Christians, are saying, see? See, let's not talk about sin because people don't want to hear it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying let go of the gospel so that you can reach people with the gospel. That doesn't make sense. He's saying, look, focus on living the gospel so that people can see it in your life. Chip away those things in your life and in your hearts and in our churches that are not central to the gospel of Jesus Christ and let it fall to the floor. Give it up. It's not important. Paul's point is that he keeps the gospel first. And he lives in such a way that that's what other people see. 
We have so many Christians today that are living as a Christian and. Well, I'm a Christian and I do these things. I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus, but I, I also believe in all these other things. And we have this life and we've just taken Jesus and the message of the gospel and a relationship with him. We've just kind of stuck it into our already crammed full life and said, now I have one more good thing. Paul says, no, no, I emptied my life of those other things. And I put Jesus first. That doesn't mean you have to give up your husband or your wife. We can look at other places in scripture. We talks about your family. We can look at your job. We can look at living for Christ, but Christ has to be the priority. And then those things find a purpose. This world needs to see Christians living as Christians. Not just another person tacking on a good thing into their life. Not just another person living in this world's way of doing things. We have to be shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. I love when Jesus tells his disciples and each one of us, take up your cross and follow me. You know, a phrase I keep coming back to, this is like deep how to interpret scripture, okay? Maybe this will help you. It's a phrase and it goes like this. This has to mean something. And that's really deep. <laughs> but, but I read something like, take up your cross and follow me, and I just want to skip on. Okay, that's good. That's really deep and spiritual and makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. But we need to hit the pause button and say, wait a minute, this has to mean something. We've got to quit skipping over it and just saying, oh, yeah, yeah I want to be more like Jesus. And we need to stop and say, what does it really mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Because I look at how the gospel is preached, interpreted, accepted at times. And it's, well, God just wants you to be happy and to feel self-fulfilled. And he wants to take all of your goals and just bless them and make you successful. And that's what the gospel is. And then I go, but wait, this has to mean something. Take up your cross. Somebody carrying the cross was on their way to die. All of their priorities are shaped by the fact that they are carrying a cross. Their mission is shaped by the fact that they are carrying a cross. We are shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. People defined by the statement, I believe Jesus is my Savior who died in my place and rose from the dead. And that easy, simple statement redefines everything about us. And then finally... And we're actually going to talk about this next week. But living a cross-shaped mission requires a cross-shaped hope. And that's where we're going to end the sermon series next week. What is a cross-shaped hope? What is the hope of the cross of Jesus Christ that we can hold on to now and look forward to in the years to come? And we'll go back to that picture in Revelation. But for, day, I, for today, I just want you to remember this thing that you're called on to live the gospel, to go into all the world. You have the end of the story in your hands and that mission never fails. You are not called to something hopeless. You are called to something certain. It is promised in advance. We have a mission. Each one of us is called to take the gospel as we are going. 
to take the message of the cross, to inject it in our relationships, into our life and how we demonstrate the gospel, into our conversations, how we talk to people about Jesus. We've so overcomplicated this. Here's a hundred steps to win your friend to Jesus Christ. No, just go to them. See, you're here on a Sunday, right? Okay, fact one. Tomorrow at work, people are going to be talking about what they did over the weekend. So go up to a coworker. What'd you do this weekend? And they're probably going to tell you. And, and if they're not completely self-absorbed, they might ask you what you did over the weekend. Boom! Gospel opportunity. I went to church. We talked about this. And it was wonderful. Or actually, it wasn't that great. He could have done better. But still, here's the gospel. <laughs> gospel opportunity. We've so overcomplicated. Do you, if anybody big football fans, right? There's probably games on today. I don't know. Okay, football fans. Have you ever had to take a class on how to talk about your team? Anybody had to sit down and tell you how to share about the Bills' victory or complain about their defeat? You know, we're going to have 10 weeks on how to talk about the Bills. You don't need that. Because if you're excited about the Bills, you're going to talk about it. If you're excited about Jesus and you are convinced that the gospel will never fail, people will not be able to get you to shut up. And praise God for it. Praise God for it. So so that's evangelism, us going out and sharing the gospel in any situation. But there is also missions, those particularly sent across culture, across the world, or sometimes in our own land, but to a different culture. And I came across this statement by John Piper. I thought this was beautiful. He tells people in his church they have three options when it comes to missions. He says, look, you can either go. So you could be the one that say, yes, I am going to go. Or you can send, I'm going to support people that go. Or here's the third one, I really like this. He said, or you can just be disobedient. There's your three options. Go, send, or disobey. Well, that kind of lays it on the line, doesn't it? We are on a mission. The cross determines the message of our mission. The cross determines the methodology of our mission. It determines the priorities of our mission. It determines the sacrifice we're willing to make along the way of our mission. It determines our identity as cross-shaped people gathered in a cross-shaped church, living on a cross-shaped mission. And friends, it's not easy. Other priorities come in and we want to focus on that and we get so distracted. We come to church and we say, this isn't really what I needed. It's not really what I wanted. I didn't really get out of it what I was hoping to get out of it. And the cross says, look, take your eyes off yourself and put it on your Savior. Because that's your greatest need. But understand that the future and the ultimate success of this mission is secure. The gospel wins. People are saved. People from all over the world. And some of those people are going to be there because God used you to talk to one other person. Take hope in your cross-shaped mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what powerful truth that we know that the message of the gospel will go out into this world. We know that lives will be changed The world will be changed. 
people will be saved for eternity because of the gospel's impact in their life. And we know from your way of working and what your scripture says that the way you accomplish that is through people like us. People who are scared. People who think that we could never be successful in this. People who think you can't possibly use us. And yet you do over and over again. So give us courage, Father, to step out in faith, to go to that family member or that friend and just start a conversation about Jesus and watch where your spirit leads that conversation. Help us to be bold and unashamed, not aggressive or obnoxious, but bold and unashamed about talking about our Savior and the change that you have made in our lives. And God, I pray for those people that are in the lives of the people gathered in this room. That I hope and pray over the next days and weeks, they're going to get an opportunity to hear the gospel from someone in this room. And I pray that you prepare their hearts. And that we could hear stories coming back, maybe at the Thanksgiving Eve service of people just saying, I talked about Jesus with my friend or my neighbor and listen to what God did. Because God, one day we'll be standing in a great multitude in the presence of our Savior, made perfect forever in heaven through all eternity. And what an exciting thing to think that there will be others there because you used us on a cross-shaped mission. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.